Lord, we just thank you that you're inside of us. Thank you for the kingdom of heaven that has come. Thank you, Lord, that you do pour down on us like rain, that we have a place to go to now in you, a place where there's always blue skies. The kingdom has come. In you, we are complete. A new creation has been raised, joined to the Lord himself, seated with you in heavenly places, a reality that is within our bosom as we walk the earth. Lord, thank you for the reality. You do pour down upon us like rain. You are the life. You are the truth, the real. You are the way. Thank you, Lord, for the door that has been opened that no man can shut. Thank you for the reality of an open heaven. Thank you that we are the sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord, that we call you Papa. Thank you, Lord, that we call you Abba. Thank you for the reality that we are heirs because we are sons and daughters. Thank you that we were born from above. We're no longer from below. Thank you that we're going home one day because we're from there. Thank you, Lord, that our mother is New Jerusalem above. Thank you for the reality of the children of God, the heart of the Father to bring many sons into glory, the accomplishment of the Christ, that he might dwell in us and we in him. Behold the glory of the mystery of Christ, the riches of this glory that he is now in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord, for this reality. Union has come. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that raises its voice in condemnation against you, you shall condemn. For this is the inheritance of the saints of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of righteousness. We have received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness that we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome reality. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the reality. Spirit of God, you pour down like rain. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God is so good. All the time. I want to share some thoughts briefly about, hey guys, um, about, and, and where this came from, hey Andy, um, where this came from is, I, was, I got an email from a brother and we were talking about the whole issue of maturity, the maturity of the believer, and, and he had some questions about, you know, how does that, how does that work, or how, do we, how should we think about maturity in light of the finished work of Christ, because we are in, in Jesus, complete and holy and blameless and righteous. And we, can, we cannot get any more holy than we are in him because we have him as our holiness. Uh, we can't get any more righteous than we are now because we have him as our righteousness. So how should we look at this whole thing about maturity and, and, and what, what is the way maturity happens and, and that kind of thing? So it was really cool, just some good discussion. And one of the things he asked me about in the email was about the issue of correction. Where does correction come in this process of maturity? And, and how, how should we look at correction? Or, or what, what is correction in light of the finished work of Christ? That kind of thing. So let's look at some of these thoughts. Cool. First, let's look at Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians. Chapter 4. 
And we'll just start at, um, let's see, chapter 4, verse 7. I love this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Just so you know, there's not really a five-fold ministry, there's only a four-fold ministry. In the, in the original Greek, there's no word for pastor and word for teacher. Men put that together. It's one Greek word that means shepherd. And it's the, it's the only place in the entire New Testament the word pastor appears because they had pastors in the, in the church and they had to like, you know, we've got to find ourselves in this book. <laughs> so they translated, not that pastor is not a bad word, but I'm saying that that's what they did. They actually changed the word in the Greek that says shepherd. Everywhere else in the New Testament, the word in the Greek is translated shepherd. They said, we've got to use the word pastor here somewhere. They're going to think we're not legitimate, you know. So they added pastors and teachers. There's not a fivefold ministry. It's a fourfold ministry. There's apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds. And shepherds do pastor and teach. Anyway, just a little trivia. Okay. All right, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, as a result of this maturity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Isn't that awesome? First thought I want to share is this. I love this where it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, he led captive a host of captives, or he led captivity captive in some places, in some translations. And he gave gifts to men. Now, in verse 9 and 10, he talks, here Paul is talking about how he ascended. He said, if he ascended, he must have descended. And then he says, he did descend to the lower parts of the earth. This is what we talked about a while back on, I think on Easter Sunday, we talked about what happened after the cross. How he actually descended to Sheol. In the Hebrew it's called Sheol. In the Greek it's called Hades. Same place. And that's why he told the thief on the cross, This day shall be with me in paradise. Because paradise was a place in Sheol that Jesus called Abraham's bosom. You know, we talked about that. It's a place of, uh, the word paradise in the Greek means a protected enclosure. A beautiful, protected, that's why we call the Garden of Eden paradise. It's a beautiful, protected enclosure and everyone who died before Christ who died with faith in their heart who God who knows the heart sees faith when they died they descended and they were divided in Sheol according to faith not their works no one ever has been saved by works and that's why it's called Abraham's bosom because Abraham is the father of faith so what happened was Jesus descended Peter says he descended to the prisoners held in Sheol who could not pass on until the sacrifice was made on earth till the blood was shed on earth Peter says in his letter, he descended to the prison, prisoners who were held captive there, even those who died in the flood. 
See, this is awesome. So he went down in, in fulfillment of all things that he might fill all things. And he, procl- and he didn't go down to suffer either, as some teachers teach. He didn't go down to hell to suffer. The, the atonement didn't happen in hell. The atonement happened on earth. The atonement is in the blood, in his death, not in suffering in hell. He descended to Sheol to speak to his own. The scripture says in Peter, he proclaimed the finished work that he was the one that it has been done on earth. The blood had been shed. The lamb had been shed. The lamb had died. And so when he went down, what happened on the third day, he gathered together the captives. He took captivity captive. He took, uh, he took a host of captives and set them free. What happened was this beautiful, I think, I vision, Jesus said there was a great gulf in Sheol between paradise and this other netherworld, part of the netherworld, were those who died without faith, and they were in this other place waiting the judgment. And the, Revelation, the book of Revelation says in the last day that Sheol shall give up her dead, and they shall be judged, and the books shall be opened, and their, book, their name would not, was not found written in the books, Lamb's book, the Lamb's um, book of life. And so they, they opened the other books. And you don't want to ever be there before the throne of God where the other books are open, and you don't find your name in the Lamb's book of life. And that's, that's what happened. So these people who died without faith were, at the end of time, Sheol shall give up her dead, and they'll, their name were not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the other books were open, and they were judged according to their works. And, of course, no one makes it according to their works. And so, you know. Yes? Good question. They were drawn up on the third day. They're already out of there. Isn't that awesome? Already gone. That's the cloud of witnesses we have now in heaven. In other words, what happened was on the third day, he took captivity captive. He took them all out of there. They're no longer there. That's why when you die now, you don't go to Sheol. Absent of the body is present with the Lord. It's a finished work now. We step into the heaven in fullness now. There's no Sheol for the believer anymore. Isn't that awesome? And, so, and that's why in the, in the Gospels it says some even came into the city. Some of the, of the old prophets and saints and grandfathers who died in faith, look at, in faith in the God of Israel, actually came into Jerusalem from Sheol. They, they were resurrected and appeared to their families, the gospel says, and said, he is the one. He is the Messiah. And they disappeared and went on to heaven. Isn't that cool? Anyway, so, so, so this is what he's talking about. Now, but this is the point I want to make here. I don't want to get into that because we've talked about that before. But the point I want to make here is that when he ascended and took captivity captive, that's when he gave gifts to men. Why? Because the purpose of the gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, is to bring to the body of Christ the revelation of the invisible reality of the ascended Christ. When he ascended, he gave gifts. In a sense, what he's saying is, Show them what I've done. When the work is finished, when the work was finished and he ascended and sat down on the right hand of God, that's when the gifts were poured out to show the invisible, to teach the invisible reality of the finished work and how he now sits above all things and has all authority and that no man can be condemned if they have their faith in him. For he is the final word, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So anyway, that's, that's what, I love that. So, the, those who are, who are the, the, the gifts to the body of Christ should never forget that their number one, number one uh, work under the Spirit is to reveal the unseen reality of the ascended Christ. He ascended on high and gave gifts unto men that those gifts might help the, the saints see. To what end? To grow in this maturity that he's talking about here. Okay. 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. See, this is so cool. We as saints are to be equipped by these gifts that God has given to the body so that we can minister in the power of the Spirit for the work of service. The saints are the ones who are being equipped for what purpose? If you're being equipped, it's for, it's for a purpose. For the work of the service, for, to minister the life of Christ, the, to minister the truth of the revelation of Christ. So every single one is a minister. Every single one is, is being trained and equipped by the Spirit of God through God's gifts to the body to be ministers of the Spirit. And then it says that we all attain to the unity of the faith. That means a, a, a oneness in what we believe. We all see that it's all Christ of the knowledge of the Son of God, the revelation of Christ, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. So, see, a big part, what I'm saying here is a big part of maturity is understanding truth. See, it's not, what, what I was trying to share with this brother is it's not churches that focus on correction regarding behavior. Um, and I say focus because there is a place to, for correction when there's behavior and, you know, behavior that is not Christ-like. There's a place for correction when, there's, when there is behavior that is not Christ-like. But correction itself will never change us. If, if it's, I mean, Jesus didn't die and be, it was not, he didn't, he wasn't raised from the dead and ascend just so we could just correct each other into maturity. Think about that. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's, the Rotary Club can do that. The Boy Scouts can do that. The Boy Scouts can correct. The military can correct, right? The military can correct bad behavior, right? And, and teach discipline and all that. That's not, that's not the mystical power of the supernatural God that we serve. Even though there's a place for correction. But what, what, what is the end of correction? What is the goal of correction? If, if someone needs to be corrected... First of all, I think 90% of all corrections should not be about behavior, but 90% of all corrections should be about what they think, what they believe. And Paul's letters are full of correction. You Galatians, you foolish Galatians, he corrected them and said, you know, it's not, you're, not, you're not made perfect. If you start in the spirit, you're not made perfect by the flesh. Why are you going back to the law? That's correction. But it's doctrinal, it's theological, it's truth. See, so most corrections should be truth. But first of all, you got to, we got to know the truth. Because notice how it says here that the body is built up. How is the body built up? It says, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So, and I've heard people preach that before. They said, well, speak the truth one another. That, that means, you know, um, you know, Ken, you know, you need to, I'm, I'm just speaking the truth, brother. I mean, you need, you know, Jesus got, out, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He, he rose from the dead. You can't even get out of bed, dude. You got to get up early and start praying, man. You got to. You know, I'm speaking the truth. You know, that's not the truth. You know, we, we think truth, we think, that's not what he's talking here. You don't talk about the flesh. You don't, you, don't, you don't point out sin in people's flesh. No good thing dwells in our flesh. We all have the flesh. We all have the power of sin in the flesh. That's not what he's talking about here. The truth we're to speak to each other is the, the real. The word truth in the Greek means the real. What is real? What is eternal? That which is seen is temporary. That which is unseen is eternal. The real. Grace and the real came by Jesus. The law came by Moses, but grace and the real came by Jesus himself. The law brought shadows of the things to come, but Jesus brought the real. 
Yes, Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And in, and in him, see, so we encourage the brothers, we encourage the saints of who you are in him. That's the truth. You are a son of God, Dale. You are a son of the most high God. God himself dwells within your bosom. Christ is inside of you, Dale. Be encouraged. Because we have received mercy, we faint not, Dale, because he is your mercy. He is your peace, you know? And that builds you up. And that builds, and it releases faith, see? And so faith, and it also solidifies what you believe. See, no longer tossed to and fro. Is, is God for me? Is he against me? Is he mad at me today? Is he happy? About, you know, is he, he's mad when I do good. He's, bad, he's mad when I do bad. No. You see that, no, no, this is the Christ. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. The Father is pleased with the work of his Son, and he's pleased in you because you have believed, simply believed on his Son. See? Awesome. And you do it in love, obviously. Because if you know the truth, you, you can't help but do it in love. Although, I didn't do it. When I, first, when I first saw Grace, man, I don't even like to listen to those tapes anymore when I preached in 1985 when I saw the grace of God and I was trying to preach it to people and I was mad, you know, because why didn't you tell me this? You know, it's like, I was like, <laughs> because I was so frustrated. Like, why didn't somebody tell me this? And um, so there is, a, I think, a season when you first start seeing this where you, got, you need to be, like, shut away for six months. And... Uh, <laughs> That's why God had Paul in the deserts of Arabia for three years, right? He'd have been so angry. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> but it's true. There's, there's, but when you get to a place of settledness, and, you know, it's really true, isn't it? Because um, I know um, Morris has said, had the same experience. So he came out of Assembly of God um, background, and when he started sharing some of these things in his church back in Slidell, you know, he got hammered. Pat got hammered, you know. You know, what do you mean you're forgiven for your future sins, you know? Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, you don't see that? It's like, oh, my gosh, what, what sins were not on the cross? You know, I love the way Clark emphasizes that we're forgiven for our past, for our present, and our future, obviously. I mean, think about it. He is not to die often. And we've actually been moved into this other reality where sin is not even imputed, where there is no law, there's no transgression. It's awesome. Anyway, so... Um, so the truth, speaking the truth in love, is that, speaking the reality of Jesus himself as our righteousness. And Jesus himself, the great love of God that has come to us. And then in that love, we're being, we're being built up. Okay, so a few thoughts on this, on correction real quick. And we've got to wrap it up. But, and I'll kind of rush through that. What do you mean? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> a long wrap-up. Um, this, this is how I look at correction in light of the finished work of Christ. This is how I, I see um, this, what the Scriptures teach about this. And it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter my opinion. It doesn't matter. What matters is what the Scripture says. And always have that, that mindset because that's why we've come to the places we've come. We've come to see things we've never seen before because we said, I don't care what men think. I don't care what I think. What do the Scriptures say? It's so important to do that. Um, and I love that verse, one of my favorite verses in 1 John where it says, You need no man teach you, but the anointing. This is John now. Remember, this is John the Apostle telling you personally. He's not, he's not trying to advocate uh, rebellion and a, and a lack of humility and you know, not receiving from the teachers that God has sent to the body of Christ, the shepherds. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying a basic truth that we, every believer needs to have in their heart, and that's this. And it's, it's important because it's, it's one of the marks of the new covenant. 
The mark of the new covenant is they shall no longer be taught by other men, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, but all shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I shall teach them. The Father shall teach them in the Spirit. See, the new covenant is a, is a one-to-one relationship where the Lord Himself teaches us. And then we hear the Lord through our brother and sister also. My sheep know my voice. So when you hear from a brother and sister, from a teacher, from a pastor, from an evangelist, apostle, you hear the voice of Christ. You receive it and you welcome it. You rejoice in it. But in that same apostle, when he speaks something that is not according to Christ, you go, nah, that's not him. And you need to have the confidence to do that. Nope, that's not him. Just like Clark said last Sunday, I love that. We had a guest speaker that came to church to speak. Good message. But then he brought in the First John 1, 9 thing for the believer and said, now, you know, you believers that need confession, you need forgiveness of sin, you know, confess your sin, come forward. First John 1, 9, you know, you'll be cleansed and all this stuff. And I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, Clark was so cool. Next Sunday, he said, you know, he didn't, t- he didn't name the guy's name. He didn't, sh- you know, you don't want to shame the, the guy because he's a, he's a believer and he said a lot of great stuff. Not everybody sees everything fully yet. You know, we're, we're all learning. And so Clark says, you know, um, he said, you know, if you, see, if you hear someone not teaching truth, just don't receive it. And he specifically said 1 John 1, 9. He said, and if you hear somebody say 1 John 1, 9 is for the believer, just don't receive it. I love that. Yeah. See? And uh, so we can be accepting and growing in this revelation without being caustic. I was caustic the first few years I saw this. I was caustic. I was angry on the inside, preaching grace. I was not loving. I was like trying to kill people with grace. <laughs> the Spirit's going, oh, my God. You know, but anyway, so, so, um, okay, so here we are. Um, where were we? Oh yeah, correction. Okay. All right. So, so as, as I, as I see correction, okay, first of all, this is what I, from the scripture, this is how I, I see this whole thing. First of all, first of all, we've got to know that in Christ, if you're a believer, that believer has a brand new heart. Got to know that. Scripture teaches that that is what the new creation is all about. That's what being born again is all about. A new heart. The prophets prophesied through Ezekiel that the day would come in in a new covenant that God would cut. The day would come that God would wash us with pure water and put a new heart in us. That has been fulfilled in Christ. Another prophet said the day would come when our stony heart would be replaced with the heart of flesh. And what that means is not flesh in the bad sense. That means our stony heart of, that's dead will become alive, pumping, spiritually alive. That's happened in Christ. See? So that's number one. We've got to know that we have ourselves a new heart. And that brother and sister we're, that, we're, that we maybe are feeling led to, by the Spirit to correct in something, they too have a new heart. Okay. That's, that's very, that's crucial. Nowhere in the apostolic writings do you have a single verse that says the heart is being renewed. Not a single verse. Not a single verse in the apostolic writings do you have where the apostles taught that we're to examine our heart for evil. To look into your heart for sin. Old Testament, yes. Because Jeremiah says the heart is, just, is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We had an evil heart. But a new creation has come. So you don't, see, you don't see the apostles talking about dealing with the heart. The heart is good. God creates and says, it is good. We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we afterwards should walk, merely walk in them. He says, it is good. But what you do hear a lot in the scriptures about, in the apostolic writings, is the renewal of the mind. That's the process. 
That's the primary process of maturity is the renewal of the mind. It's having the thoughts, our thoughts, which are off, even as a believer, off in areas, come into line with the thoughts of God by revelation. Who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God is given that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. The Spirit is given, the Scripture says, to show us the deep things of God. Not the deep things of the flesh. The deep things of God. Because the heavenly dynamic that's at, that's at work now in all of us is not a looking at sin or looking at the flesh. That's the old law. The law, through the law, was the knowledge of sin. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil shows your nakedness. God said, who told you you were naked? That's not my dynamic. That's not the way of heaven. The way of heaven is to experience creative life of which you have no power to bring about in response to faith. And then in that creative life, the release of the light of life. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's emanating from the very life of God, light, revelation of him. And so in that revelation of him, that which is in him is able to get, come forth and manifest through the renewal of the mind. As we behold him, Ephesians says, who created us, who created the new man, we are transformed in the same image. It's a, it's a heavenly dynamic is to look at Jesus, set your mind on him, right. focus on him, right. fix your eyes on him. Because in that, as we said before, the scripture says, when you look, in, when you look at the glory of God in the face of Christ... We are actually, as Paul says, it's as you're looking in a mirror and seeing yourself. As he is, so are we in the world. I love that phrase, in the world. Theologians will say we are, in our, our standing is perfect and holy and blameless in the heavenlies. But on the earth, our state is another matter. No, John was very clear. As he is, so are you in the world. Wow. Isn't that awesome? awesome? Holy and blameless in the world. Not just in the heavenlies, in the world now. And that's what the walk of faith is all about. You and I walk by faith in this reality now. That's what faith is all about. That's what walking by faith is. And so what happens, this, this mortal body, this brain, we see in part, we prophesy in part because we're moving through this, the, the brain of this creation. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have a whole new creation within this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. One day, that, that which is real, the you, real you, will put on immortality, will be clothed with that which matches what's, which is on the inside of you so that there's no hindrance in manifesting what is, what is. But now there's a hindrance because we are in these clay pots and, we can, and our brains can't comprehend. And, so that's, and that's why it's a process. That's why the scripture says the moment you leave your body... You shall know all things, even as you are known by God instantly. What is the difference? The brain of this creation. The moment you leave this body, this body falls and hits the ground. And you stand free, like we said the other day, like a big fur coat taken off from a hot summer. Oh, God. You will know all things as you are known. That's it. So what? See what I'm saying? So isn't it exciting to know, it, to know as much as you can now? That's maturity, to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, to be bold in faith and to realize who you are on earth. 
Because that's where he receives glory as we live through witnesses of him. See? Yes. <laughs> you sure don't look like you're 70, sister. Are you 70, really? You don't look like you're 70. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if you, get, if you step over before us, can you somehow send us some message about, about stuff we can't see yet? I know, I know. I'm just kidding. But um, isn't that cool, though? Okay, so first, I've got to wrap this up. Okay, first of all, in dealing with the whole concept of correction, we've got to know that we already have a new heart. That's not the issue. And the second thing is that it's all about renewing of the mind. Okay, so, so what we need to do is 90% of any correction is really all about truth, about Christ. I mean, Jesus had the disciples messing up all around them, all around him. And he didn't micromanage their behavior. He didn't address all the sin that was happening all around them. Why not? Because that's not what it's about. That's not where life comes from is by modifying behavior. If that's all it was, then we could do it. The military does it every day. They modify behavior. That's not what it's all about. God is not into that. That's what the law was all about. Law was all about modification of behavior through fear. And God, God was not pleased with that because he wants it from the, from the new heart to be the real you manifested. Okay, so, so what if there is a need for a correction? Say, um, you know, I don't know, say, say you have a, a brother that comes to church naked every Sunday. Or, you know, I'm... Hey, that's good. <laughs> oh, oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> See, Mars is so full of mercy... Morris is so full of mercy, he's like, that's okay. You know, Adam was like that. <laughs> right. But, but I, I use an extreme example to say, okay, so how would you handle something like that? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a place for saying, you know, you've got to get some clothes on, dude. Um, yeah. Correction of a behavior is a place for it. But you don't leave it there. And you don't do it that often because you let people grow all around you. I used to be the righteousness police as a believer when I was in legalism before I understood grace. I was always trying to straighten people up all around me, you know, and I was I couldn't straighten myself up. I was I was frustrated with my own life, not being able to measure up. I was under guilt and condemnation because I couldn't measure up. And I was trying to make sure everybody else felt just as miserable as I was pretty much, you know, just trying to point out, you know, you need to fix this. You need to fix this. And I'm going, God, I need to fix this. I can't fix this. What am I doing telling him he needs to fix that? I can't fix this, you know. So it's, that's one of the cool things about grace is that you, you enter into this incredible rest. And now God has shown me that all you do, like I had this great lunch with Robert's son, what you do is you, you plant seeds. You plant seeds. And you're not stressed out about them having to see something or do something or change. You just plant seeds. Powerful, powerful seeds. Powerful seeds. Jesus did that. He walked around totally at rest, not trying to change the whole world around him. All these people messing up around him, you know, the disciples fighting about who's the greatest and all this stuff going on. And Jesus is like, consider this. Have you read this in, in what David said this? I tell you the truth. This. Let me tell you a story. There was a man who had two sons. Parables. Seeds. Awesome. Um, it's, it's a great way to live. We're supposed to live that way. And people are attracted to that. 
you're, you, you walk around with a twinkle in your eye like you have a diamond in your pocket. And they're like, what do you have? You know, what's, what's going on with you? I mean, why, why aren't you stressed out like everybody else? Anyway, so, so, so yeah, there's a place where you, you, you say, you know, dude, you've got to put some clothes on. But you don't leave it there. Then you go and say, man, do you know who you are? I mean, do you really know who you are? And then you, you know, encourage them in the invisible. You're an heir. You're an heir. Don't you? You're a son of a king. And you start see, he starts seeing himself as he is, as God sees him, not as he sees himself. The shame that's in him and the rejection that's in him begins to melt away because how can it stand in the presence of the God of the universe that says, I'm crazy about you. Yes. You're the apple of my eye. I said this before and I'll say it again. The, the, the secret to life is living beloved by God every day. Awesome. Living every day loved by God. Consciously aware of it. The Son of God was consciously aware of the love of the Father for him every day. He couldn't wait to get up in the morning early. He was not getting up early in the morning to go pray because it was some duty or, so, or he, need, he needed to do, that, to do that to have the anointing and all this stuff. No, he couldn't wait. He'd wake up. Father, Abba, Abba, Abba. You see that? He put his robe on and just, they're all asleep in the house and he wakes up. And he would sit there and bask in the Abba's love. He would just sit there. Tears. Abba. The world doesn't know you, but I know you. Abba. That's what he has for us. Loved every day. Loved every day. And living like that, no matter what happens. And it grows and it intensifies. And that's maturity. So, we could say a lot more about that. But that's, that's my heart about correction. Be slow to correct in terms of behavior. Quick to correct to speak the truth of God's goodness and love. Be patient with all men. The love covers a multitude of sin and overlooks much. Because remember, the true dynamic that changes a person is not the knowledge of right and wrong to mere modify behavior. But the truth that changes someone is a revelation of the Son of God. And that's what it said in that verse. Until we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Because in Him is the great love of God revealed. The height and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. Isn't that cool? That's, and that's what I feel about those who emphasize correction but really don't see maybe the invisible reality will lead to burnout, arrogance, fear, and not the fruit of the Spirit. But those who see the invisible will minister life. Not the letter that kills, the Spirit that gives life. Remember Galatians chapter 6. It says, you see a brother caught in a sin, trapped in a sin? You who are spiritual go. Not carnal. Not those who see, you know, correction is the end all. Correction is the key. Correction is it. Correction, correction, correction. Uh, no. Not correction of behavior. That's not the issue. Spiritual. Those who have eyes that see the invisible. You go. Considering your own self in humility, knowing that in the flesh you could do the same thing. You could be doing the same thing because it's not you, it's Christ in you that's living. So you go with all humility, spiritual eyes, to restore, restore 
what? Restore vision of the truth. Vision that faith might be encouraged in that person. Faith. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by seeing. Faith. So the whole ministry is a ministry of truth. Vision. Remember. Remember who you are. Like the Lion King from the stars. Symbol. Remember who you are. I love that. You know, he's in exile. The, king, the king's son is in exile because of this evil uncle. And his father speaks from the heavens and says, Simba, remember who you are. I love that scene in Chariots of Fire. Can you tell I like movies? But, uh, Chariots of Fire. I love that scene where they, all the students are standing before, you know, at, at the college. And they have that big dank, uh, banquet and the dinner and all. And there's there's and, Professor comes in, you know, and he looks at the crowd of new students. This is, I love, if you have never seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it got best motion picture in 1976. It's awesome. But, um, no, 1981. I think it's 1981. Anyway, but he stands before these students and he says, I I wish I, I got to memorize every single word, but he basically said this. He said, find, find the thing that you have been gifted in. The one thing. And go for it. Something like that. And then he says, and this is the phrase, he says, and let no power or persuasion deter you in your task. I love that. Life is too short. You can't do a lot of things. You can't do a hundred thousand things. Find the one thing the one thing that God has called you to do and let no power or persuasion deter you in your task. Be a chariot of fire, a passion. Lord, thank you so much for the reality. Oh God, it's such, your word is life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of your love. Thank you for the goodness of God. I pray that you'll give each one of us a rose today. Give each one of us a rose in worship today, Lord. We receive the rose. We receive the rose. In Jesus' name, amen.